we have been in a sermon, a Christmas sermon series called The Promise. We've been looking at some amazing promises that God made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And they're all part of the great promise. You see, there were more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that predicted and promised that there was one coming. They called him in the Old Testament the Messiah. There was one coming, the the anointed one. There was one coming who would deal with our sin. They called him Messiah in the Old Testament. They called him Christ in the New Testament. But both words mean the same thing. The, The anointed one, the promised one. It was like a 300 piece puzzle that the prophets were putting together over hundreds and hundreds of years. Each prophet had one or more pieces of the puzzle. Isaiah laid down his piece of the puzzle and said he would be born of a virgin. Micah laid down his piece of the the puzzle and said he'll be born in Bethlehem. And prophet after prophet after prophet laid down their pieces of the puzzle. As they declared about this Messiah, this one coming, this anointed one, who would deal with the sins of the world. And, and as these prophets laid down the 300 pieces or more of that puzzle, it formed a beautiful picture of Jesus, the promised one. So far, we've only looked at Old Testament promises, Old Testament prophecies in this sermon series. Today, I want to look at a promise that was made in the New Testament. A unique promise because it was made to, not to a nation, but to one man. An old man in the New Testament who was waiting for Jesus to arrive. I want to tell you the story before we read the story and give you the context. This story actually happened after Jesus was born, after the shepherds came to see him, but before the magi or the wise men came to see him. So get that in your mind. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, after the shepherds came to see him, and before the Magi came to see him, that's when this story happened that I want to tell you about today. Now, I need to clarify something for you. The Magi did not come to Jesus the night he was born. Now, I know in every Christmas play you've ever seen in church, the shepherds come down and then the Magi come down. And you got the shepherds on one side and you got the Magi or the wise men on the others. How many people have been a, a wise man in a Christmas play? Yeah. I really don't know why we do this in church. I really don't know why we we declare this thing that's not true. And I know that you've got your nativity set at the house, and it's got baby Jesus, and it's got Joseph and Mary, and it's got the shepherds on one side, and the magi or the wise men on the other side. But, But I'm here to tell you that that's not exactly true. Now, they did come. They did come to worship Jesus, the Magi, the wise men. They did come to see Jesus. They did come and present him with the gifts. Just they came a whole lot later than you think they did. He said, well, how do you know that? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, don't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 2, by the time they come to see him, he's not referred to as a baby. He's referred to as a child. And in Matthew chapter 2, when they come to see him, they do not come to the inn or to a cave or anywhere like that. They come to a house. So now, by this time, they've moved into a house. But the biggest piece of evidence is this. In Matthew chapter 2, when when King Herod heard from the Magi, or the wise men, that the king of the Jews had been born, and he felt threatened by that, remember this little detail? He had all the babies, all the boy Bethlehem babies were killed. But it was not all the babies that were killed. It was all the babies who were two years of age and younger. 
Now, why two years of age and younger? Because Jesus likely was one or two years old when the wise men came. So I hate to mess up the nativity set you got at the house. Uh, Don't go home and throw half of it away. You know, if you really want to be biblical, just move them into another room. Because they were actually in another country the day Jesus was born. So you can move them in another room, kind of point them towards the nativity set. And a couple of years later, bring them out, all right? Then, then that will be biblical. So here's the context of the story I want to tell you. After the shepherds came, but before the wise men came, there was another part of the Christmas story that often doesn't get told. For example, did you know that Jesus wasn't officially named until he was eight days old? He wasn't given his name until he was eight days old. Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day, and that's when they received their names. So probably while they were, they were in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph had their sons circumcised according to Jewish law and custom, and on that eighth day is when they declared that his name would be Jesus I'm sure that Mary and Joseph probably looked at one another and smiled at one another when somebody asked the question, what are you going to name him? Because both Mary and Joseph had had an angelic visitor at different times. Mary had the angel Gabriel appear to her before, she was, before Jesus was conceived in her, room, her womb to describe what was about to happen. And Gabriel said to Mary, now be sure you name him Jesus. And then after Mary became pregnant, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Oh, by the way, that which is in Mary's womb came from God. Oh, and by the way, be sure that you name him Jesus. So when they came to the eighth day and and they were going to circumcise Jesus and name him, and somebody said, What are you going to name him? It's like, We got this one settled. The angel declared, God has decided what his name would be. That was when he was eight days old. Do you know what happened when he was 40 days old? When he was 40 days old, his young parents took their baby boy to Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. The law instructed that every firstborn male child would be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. And in accordance with the law, Mary and Joseph traveled the five miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem carrying their little baby Jesus to offer him, to dedicate him, to consecrate him to the Lord. Now, part of the ceremony of doing that required that they offer a sacrifice of a lamb and a pigeon. Now, if they could not afford a lamb and a pigeon, the law also had a provision in it where they could offer two young pigeons rather than a lamb and a pigeon, because a lamb is rather expensive, rather than offering a lamb and a pigeon. If they couldn't afford that, the law gave them a provision offering two young pigeons. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. See, money was tight. You ever lived in a situation, maybe in your family, maybe in your marriage, where money was tight? Money was tight for Mary and Joseph. They had to pay tax. Remember, they went to Bethlehem because they had to pay taxes. You know what it's like April the 15th when you got to pay taxes and all of a sudden money is tight. And that, that was the situation for Mary and Joseph. They had just been to Bethlehem. They just had to pay taxes. Money was tight. So get this. When they came to dedicate Jesus to God, 
The Bible says they offered the sacrifice of a poor family. They offered the sacrifice of two young pigeons. And I say to you, don't let the fact that you don't have much cause you to think that you're not worth much. When God was looking for an earthly mother and father for Jesus, He wasn't concerned with what was in their bank account. He was more concerned with what was in their heart. So I would like to tell you today that you don't have to be financially rich in order to be spiritually rich. I love the fact that when they came to offer Jesus at the temple, it was the offering of a poor family. I love the fact that Mary and Joseph were chosen to raise Jesus and they didn't have much. But they had a relationship with God that was worth far more than money. It reminds me of my family. I grew up in Johnson City, Tennessee, and we didn't live in the projects, but we were two blocks away from the projects. And James and Mildred Shorter didn't have a lot financially. But God could see in their heart, and God gave them three sons, and all three of those sons became pastors. You see, you don't have to be rich financially in order to be rich spiritually. So here's Mary and Joseph, with not a lot in their pockets, but a whole lot in their heart. And they bring their baby to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And they give the offering of a poor family to young pigeons. It's what happens next in the story that's really quite interesting. You see, when they came into the temple to do this, they met an old man there named Simeon. And it wasn't coincidence that they met You see, the Holy Spirit had actually prompted Simeon to go into the temple courts. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Promised in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit said to him, Listen, you're not going to die until you get to see with your own eyes the Savior of the world. So when Mary and Joseph carried Jesus into the temple, the courts that day, Simeon was already there. The Spirit of God had prompted him. In my mind, in my imagination, I think God was kind of smiling when he said, Hey, Simeon, go to the temple today. Why? You just need to go to the temple today. Is today going to be the day? Just go. Go to the temple. When when he went to the temple, he was standing there looking around, wondering why the Holy Spirit had told him to go to the temple. And all of a sudden, he sees this young couple walk into the temple courts, Mary and Joseph, carrying their little baby boy. The Spirit of God whispered in his ear, Simeon, that's him. That's the promised one. That's Jesus. That's the Savior you've been waiting for. Now, the Scriptures, they don't tell us this, but in my mind, I think the old man ran to them. I don't think he said, okay, thanks. I think he probably ran to them. And the Bible says, the Bible says, he took him from them. He he took the baby into his arms. I I don't know if he asked for permission or not. I don't know if he said, may I hold your baby? In my mind, he ran to them and said, that's him, that's him, and kind of grabbed him and took, took the baby into his arms. You see, he had waited a long time for this. 
He had prayed a long time for this. He had anticipated this for years. God had promised him that he would live to see Messiah. And Simeon took the baby into his arms and he praised God. And here's what he said. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen the Savior you have given to the world, just as you promised I would. Mary and Joseph, the Bible says, Mary and Joseph stood there marveling at what Simeon had said. They were speechless. They were surprised. They didn't know how to respond to this unexpected encounter. And then Simeon said something else to Mary. Suddenly, the smile left his face. Probably as he's handing the baby back to his mother, he said, this child, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. What did that mean? As she held him in her arms, looking at what what did that mean? That's not exactly the news a young mother wants to hear. But eventually they offered their sacrifice and, and they went through the ceremony and they dedicated and consecrated him to the Lord. And then eventually Mary and Joseph took Jesus back to Bethlehem. And as they traveled home, I'm sure that these new parents talked a lot about what they had heard and what they had seen in Jerusalem. Now, That's the story. I want you to read it with me this time. Would you open God's Word with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. As I read the story, I want you to read along. I want you to follow along. I want you to see if I left anything out. And as I read it, I want you to see what you would have emphasized. I want you to look for the things that you heard in the story as I told it. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. And to present him to the Lord. The time of the purification, according to Jewish standard, was 40 days if you gave birth to a male. So 40 days later, after the birth of Jesus, they took Jesus to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel, the salvation of Israel. It's a way of saying he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the one who would come to comfort Israel from her oppressors. So it's a way of saying he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, 
You now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be assigned that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There are two things I want you to notice today from this text as we work our way through it rather quickly. Two things I want you to notice about this unique Christmas story. And the first one is this. I want you to focus on the name Jesus. Philippians 2.9 calls it the name that is above every name. I want you to notice in chapter uh, 2, verse 21 in Luke, that he was deliberately given this name, this name that is above every name, this name, Jesus. It says in verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word or the Hebrew name Joshua. It means salvation is from God, or God saves. His very name points to his purpose. Matthew one twenty one it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because, notice in this verse there's a because. Give him the name Jesus, not just because it sounds good. Give him the name Jesus, not just because it fits in the story, but, but give him the name Jesus because, because he will save his people from their sins. His very name pointed to his purpose. His very name pointed to God's plan. You see, the scriptures are clear. Sin is something we can never free ourselves from. No matter how good we are, we can't eliminate the sinful nature that is present in all of us. And no matter matter how determined we are, we can't erase the sinful past that we all have. You see, Jesus didn't come just to help you save yourself. That's what some people think. He just came to help me be a better person. He came to help me along. Jesus did not come to help you save yourself. He came to be our Savior. He came to be our Rescuer. Because we could never save ourselves from the power and the penalty of sin. And if you think about it, if you're honest, you'll admit that, won't you? You can't erase your sins. Sometimes you can't even ignore your sins. They haunt you and hold you. They control you. And if you keep trying to rid yourself of your sins by yourself, one day they will condemn you. That's why you need and I need someone to rescue us. We, we need somebody who can help us do what, we can't do, do what we can't do for ourselves. And the only one who can do that is the one who came from heaven. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you need someone who is not of this world. Because everyone from this world has the same problem you have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. No, the only hope that we have to get out of our sin problem is Jesus. Because He will save, He will rescue His people from their sins. You see, when you think about the reason for Christmas, it really comes down to this. He came for your benefit. He came because you needed Him to come. 
That great theologian, Dennis the Menace, explains it so well. I saw this cartoon where Dennis is on Santa's lap and he said, I'm being a good boy, but, but I don't know how much longer I can keep it up. We all know that feeling. I mean, you and I can keep up our goodness for just so long. And then that sinful nature starts back again, doesn't it? Those sinful thoughts come back. Those sinful habits resurface. Those sinful addictions start controlling again. We can only be good for so long. Eventually, we all come to the same conclusion that Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7 when he declared, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul said, I've got a rescuer. I've got a Savior. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why Simeon was so excited that day. According to verse five or 25, the Bible says he was a good man. In fact, in fact, the Bible describes him as a righteous and devout man. Righteous and devout. But listen to this. You can be righteous and devout and still not go to heaven. You can be righteous and devout and still not have a personal relationship with God. Simeon was excited that day when he saw Jesus because he knew better than anybody that his self-righteousness would only take him so far. Uh, this week I was in, at the hospital and I was visiting someone and I got on the elevator and there was an, an elderly man on the elevator. It was at Greenville Memorial Hospital. There was an elderly, elderly man on the elevator and the doors closed. It was just him and I on the, on the elevator. And he said to me, he said, I don't like elevators. I kind of smiled and he said, but I guess it's the only way I'm going to move up, in, move up in life. And I wanted to say, I, I, I kind of, have you ever kind of caught your words, you know, when you start to say something? When he said, I guess it's the only way I'm going to move up in life, I, only, I almost said to him, how far up do you want to go? Because you're going to need a whole lot more than an elevator to get you there. And we all do, Right? Our self-righteousness can only take us so far. Simeon knew that he needed a Savior. That's why he said in verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation. And again, the Scriptures don't tell us this, but it's just my guess. Probably his eyes were filled with tears when he said that. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon was praising God because God had kept his promise. He has sent a rescuer that we all need. And Simeon finally lived long enough. I, I don't know how it came about between him and God, how this deal came about. I don't know how God came to this place of making this promise to him. But, but if he was a righteous and devout man, he's probably reading the Old Testament. He's probably reading those 300 plus prophecies and promises about the Messiah that was coming. And and Simeon probably was praying a lot and just saying, God, when is this going to happen? God, I'm afraid I'm going to miss this. I keep reading about this one coming, born of a virgin. When will he come? Father, I, I'm reading about this one born in Bethlehem. When will he come? And I don't know, maybe he was just aggravating God a lot, you know? Just, maybe God finally said, listen, just calm down. I, I tell you what, I'll make you a promise. You'll get to see him before you die. Really? I promise. You'll get to see him before you die. So that day when Mary and Joseph walked in 
carrying baby Jesus into temple courts. And the Spirit of God whispered, it's him. It's the one I promised you. Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. And when he looked at that baby Jesus, Simeon saw more than a baby. He saw how real God's love is. He saw the miracle of God in flesh. He saw the sacrifice for his sins and the sacrifice for, his, for the sins of the world. He saw God's promise fulfilled. He didn't just see a baby. He saw salvation. My eyes have seen salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Can I say to you, listen to me, here on the lower floor of the balcony, listen to this. What Simeon saw is what God wants you to see as well. Maybe you've known about Jesus all of your life, but you've never really seen who he really is. You've never really seen the fact that he's rescuer, he's savior, he's God in flesh. You see, we are the reason that he was born. He came to be the savior that we all need. So the first thing I want you to note is just that name, that special name that is above every name, the name Jesus. And the second thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice those hard words at the end of our text. Those hard words at the end of the story. They're strange words for a new mom. In Luke chapter 2, again, <clears throat> look with me in verse 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In other words, we could spend a lot of time there, but let me summarize that for you. In other words, what he was saying was this. Many will like this child and some are destined to oppose him. Many, when they hear the good news about this child, will celebrate, and others will condemn and try to kill him. And then he said this, and a sword will pierce your own soul. And what's that last word? Two. It's interesting, isn't it? Forty days into Jesus' young life here on earth, Simeon is foreshadowing the end of his life here on earth. The Bible tells us that 33 years later, his mom was near the cross. His mom, and the Bible says in John 19, 25, near the cross stood his mother. 33 years later, near, near the cross stood his mother. And as Mary saw her boy nailed to a cross and pierced with a soldier's spear, that sword that Simeon spoke about must have pierced her soul. Maybe the words echoed in, his, in her mind, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So as we sing our Christmas carols like joy to the world, let's not miss the shadow looming over the manger. It's the shadow of a cross. And that cross is not some tragic twist of fate. It was the plan of God before the creation of the world. It was his plan to give you and me a chance to go to heaven instead of hell. It was his plan so that we could have a relationship with God instead of trying to live life on our own. 
And if there had been any other way to erase your sin, any other way to do away with your sin from God's book and to pay for your sin, believe me, God would have, would have told us. But all of your goodness and all of your religion and all of your Christianity will never pay for your sin debt. Someone had to die to pay for it because the Bible declares for the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die to pay for your sin debt. And someone did. His name is Jesus. Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms and he praised God for sending the Savior of the world. The Savior that every one of us so desperately needs. Simeon, when he was holding baby Jesus in his arms, recognized God kept his promise. The promise that started in Genesis 3 when God spoke to Eve about there will be one that will come to deal with this sin problem. The promise that God gave to Abraham when he said, from your lineage I will bless the world. The promise that God gave to David when he said to David, someone will sit on your throne forever. And the promise that God made throughout the Old Testament and the promise that God made to Mary, the thing conceived in you, the one conceived in you will be from the Holy Spirit. The promise that God made to Joseph, the promise that God made to Simeon. When Simeon looked into the face of that little baby, he saw the fulfillment of the promise. The promise promise that God loves you and He wants a relationship with you. The promise that God can forgive even your sin. Sovereign Lord, Simeon said, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. You know what he was saying? I can now die in peace. I can now die in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. I can now die in peace. I want you to be able to say that. I want you to be able to die in peace because you have a relationship the one who offers eternal life. But you've got to hear this before we leave. Everything about our relationship with God is based on a promise. God desires that we trust Him rather than we perform for Him. Some of you have the idea you've got to perform for God. In order for God to accept you, in order for God to love you, you've got to perform for Him. But God would far more desire that you trust Him rather than perform for Him. So everything about God is based on a promise. And you know as well as I do that a promise is only as good as the character of the promise maker. You've all had people make promises to you that they didn't keep. And many times they made the promise and they never intended to keep them. Perhaps you had a, a dad who promised to be at your ball games, but he never showed up. Or, or, or maybe you had a spouse who promised to love you always, and then they left. We've all known people who made promises that they didn't keep, and they didn't keep them for one of two reasons. They didn't keep their promise, either one, because they lied to you, or they didn't keep their promise because they promised something they couldn't do. It's interesting when you read the Scriptures about God and His promises, that those two issues are addressed. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. And in verse 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, because whatever God promises, He's going to do, because God never lies. It's impossible for God in His holy nature to lie. 
So though others have lied to you and broken promises, any promise God makes to you, he will keep because it is impossible for God to lie. You see, every promise is only as good as the promise maker, and God can never lie. Also, that second issue. You know, sometimes people make promises they can't keep. They promise things they can't deliver on. In Romans chapter 4, verse 21, speaking of Abraham, it says, he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. And that's the pattern throughout the Bible, that God indeed has the power to do what he promised. So I want to close today with God's promise to you, and it's found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Here it is on the screen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know why God brought you here this morning? Because he wants you to believe his promise and to accept his gift. You may have never known God personally. You, perhaps you know about him. Maybe you know about Jesus. But today, this can be the day that you know Jesus. You see... This could be the day where you can say with great honesty and with great sincerity, with great joy, my eyes have seen your salvation. I've finally seen what I've never been able to see before. I finally see and understand what I've never noticed before. My eyes have seen your salvation. I would love for this to be the day that happens for you. I would love this to be the day that you place your faith in Christ. And today... I would love for you to be able to leave here not just celebrating the fact that Jesus came to earth, but this could be the Christmas you celebrate when Jesus came into your life. So, if you'd like to make that decision today and say, Lord, I, I believe that you came to the earth, but today I want you to come into my life. I desperately need a rescuer. I desperately need a savior. Today you can do that. And God says, I promise, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No exclusions, no exceptions, no excuses. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everything about God is based on a promise, not your performance. Would you accept His promise today? Would you accept his gift he's offering? See, whenever somebody makes a promise, it's one of two things. You either believe them or you don't believe them. Today, by faith, the Bible says you're, you can be saved. And you say, God, I believe what you've promised.